Welcome to Emerge Dynamics. Emerge Dynamics. The podcast for those who manage and invest in middle market private companies across the globe. globe. We're telling the stories of the unsung champions who take enormous risks every day to weave the fabric of our societies. Those who collectively, from the multi-trillion dollar largest market on the planet, we're diving into the dynamics of what makes some of them emerge from their peers and create incredible returns and impact on their communities. This is Emerge Dynamics. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Emerge Dynamics podcast. I'm your host today, Eric Winger, and I'm actually uh, flying solo in the host spot today with David unavailable to join us, which might be a scary thought, knowing that David is the only one with a pilot's license on the Emerge team. So, uh, But we'll be able to get by. Today, we're really, really blessed to have uh, a special guest that we're going to be unpacking a specific area that we've covered before in some of our previous podcast episodes. If, just to familiarize yourself with that, uh, we've done a series on strategic planning and a recent uh, series on business valuation. And uh, this one will be specifically talking about some of the very important components in strategic planning, uh, particularly the people side of the business. And for that, we're joined today with a very special guest, Ms. Amy Bouquet, who is the founder and CEO of HR NOLA, which is a strategic HR resource company here in the New Orleans market. Amy, welcome aboard and, and glad to have you as a guest on the podcast. Morning. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Big fan of the podcast, Eric. Thank you, Amy. Amy, before we get into the specific topic, just uh, like to give you the opportunity to give a, a little background on you and yourself and, and uh, HR Noel. Sure. Thank you. Well, I was just kind of making a brief introduction to uh, my students last night. I, I teach, in addition to uh, HR NOLA, I teach a in the master's program at Tulane Law School, and I teach a course on HR. And I do, uh, I'm a self-proclaimed HR geek, is how I introduce myself to my students. Like, <laughs> Yeah, after about 20 plus years doing in-house HR for various size, uh, mostly large organizations, I, uh, towards the end of that in-house career, had a taste of a small business startup and from an HR perspective. And through my volunteer work with a local nonprofit doing some audit assessments of, of HR for those organizations, I realized there was such a, a great need for the startup community and small and mid-sized markets who need access and resources from experienced HR professionals, perhaps not on a full-time basis. So about five years ago, started HR NOLA, and we have quickly grown. We're headquartered in New Orleans, as you said, and we have offices in Texas and employees uh, across the nation now. and. Our market is really to help and provide and be a resource for those small and mid-sized companies, both with strategic HR consulting and day-to-day outsourcing of HR duties. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm an instructor, a professor, and an author of the course, the Master's of Jurisprudence and Employment Law at Tulane Law School. And we are all talent-optimized and certified professionals through the Predictive Index Assessment Program at HRNOLA as well. And and maybe we'll get an opportunity to talk a little bit more about that. But I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning and look forward to talking about all things HR with you. That's great. And Amy, we're just so happy to have you aboard as a guest here. And 
look forward to hearing some of your wisdom on this very, very important topic. As I mentioned before, in our strategic planning session, we started with the beginning point of an establishing the strategic plan for the company to really set the mission and vision of the company. And then we talk about how we really make that mission and vision come alive. And, and really, that's where we start getting into this area of culture. And I know that's one of the first things that we want to unpack a little bit with you. It's been attributed to Peter Drucker. And I don't know if that's the exact proper credit, but there's a quote out there that says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I'm a firm believer in that, that, you know, you can have all the greatest processes and thoughts and ideas and everything, but the rubber meets the road. And what's the culture established at that company? And how does that culture make that mission and vision come alive? So maybe we could start there, Amy, is how do you see that from a perspective of HR Nolan, some of your experiences and tremendous uh, history and and all the things that uh, you just talked about, some of the things that you've been associated with? But how do you see company culture and how do you work with your clients to make sure that that company culture is properly established and uh, adhered to? I think that the quote that you used is very well known and very well said. I I would agree 100 percent. Often when we are, are working with, in particular, startups, which is one of my favorites, because you know, we always say compliance and culture starts with the very first hire. And we feel that it's important to actually define culture. And I have people often ask me, you know, what is culture? How do you define that? And I always say it's a little bit of that. It's the character and the personality of your organization. It's, it's what makes your business unique. It incorporates your values and your traditions and your beliefs and everyone's behaviors and attitudes. And, and that's a lot. I've heard someone say, well, it's just kind of how we do things around here. And that's a good sum. But Eric, I'm going to tell you, I saw yesterday on a social media platform, a coffee mug. And the coffee mug had a quote by Bill Marklean. And it says, culture is how employees' hearts and stomachs feel about Monday morning on Sunday night. And oh, wow. that really resonated with me as an HR professional and as a CEO On Sunday night, how was my team feeling about starting work the next morning? And as a business leader, you ask yourself, you know, on Sunday evening, how do you feel about starting work tomorrow? And how do you think your employees feel? And hopefully that resonates with a great deal of people. But I will say, you know, when I say compliance and culture start with your first hire, that one of the biggest mistakes I see organizations making is really letting the workplace culture form naturally without first really defining what they even want it to be. And and that's pretty risky. Yeah, I think we've said it. if you don't establish it, it'll establish itself. And you may be down the road and, and saying, oh my goodness, what have we done here? I like the way you mentioned that about the heart, how their hearts and, and stomachs analogy. I'm, I'm a big one that always likes to say between the head and the heart. And that when you look at the operational procedures and some of the other strategies and all that we talk about with clients and and with folks, you know, that's kind of the head part of things. But the heart is really what makes things come alive. And it's like you said, those attitudes. Why do we get up in the morning and and come to work and do what we do? That is not a head game. That is a heart game. and, And that's where culture really comes into play. Absolutely. In the uh, predictive index world, we talk a lot about how the whole person shows up at work and the whole person is is exactly what you just said. It is the mind, it's the heart, and it's what's in the briefcase. 
And if you can predict what's in all of that, if you can identify and define that in advance, when that whole person shows up for work, your culture is more likely to be more positive if that's a a good influence from both directions. When, you know, I have people say, what what do you mean it just formed? What does that mean? I have to define it. What does that mean? And, you know, I was thinking about that recently and I thought, well, when you start creating policies and programs based on what other people in your community are doing versus how it actually fits into your work environment, that's a risk, right? So your vacation Mm -hmm. policy might be great, but maybe that's not a good fit for my organization. And so from our perspective, we see people saying, hey, can we borrow that policy? Or we rush and we hire employees who don't fit what we think. We get trapped in that the building's on fire or let's hire some warm bodies, right? Um, I think oftentimes it's tolerating management styles that maybe can threaten your employee engagement and We're not creating really clear and inspiring, you mentioned this, the mission, vision, and values. Um, So when you're not doing these things in advance, your culture starts to form without your input. If your work environment is uh, uninspiring or or boring even, um, and you don't really think about some of your leaders' actions or maybe even their inactions that can affect how your culture is forming and, and building around you. So without laying that foundation, your culture starts to form. And it's it's not impossible to get it back on track, but it takes a lot more effort if you don't do it early on. Yes. No, I agree 100%. I've seen that for myself and some of my own businesses that I had responsibility over. And, and now in speaking with other business owners, it's, it's a very significant issue. And like you said, if you don't get ahead of it and start establishing it on the front end, you can write it eventually, potentially, but uh, there's a lot of risk to that. It's, it's always better to establish it on the front end and then live it. And we would always say to the business leaders, starting with the ownership on down, you guys have to own it more than anybody else, right? It's about walking the talk. We can't just have a bunch of words on a page and nice flowery mission and vision statements and things of that nature. It has to be real. It has to be authentic. And that's the responsibility of the ownership and the leadership within the organization to make sure that that happens. You're right. There's a putting your mission, vision and values and the idea of what your culture to be like on a coffee mug or on a big sticker on the wall. I always say there's not enough bean bags and ping pong tables in the break room that can fix your culture. (laughs) There's there's just... There's so much more importance, you know, to that. You know, I, I can look at, I mean, four particular items that jump out to me as to why it's so important. This positive culture that you can create will help you attract the right talent. You know, there are websites out there today and your culture is being put on display, whether you realize it or not. It's in your employer branding. It's in your job advertising. Your employees are talking about it. There are websites out there dedicated to giving people some insights into how things are done in your company. It certainly drives engagement and retention. And I think we'll talk more about that as well. Uh, A positive culture is going to impact your employees' happiness and their satisfaction. And look, we've done a lot of research and we've read a lot of, a lot of research from our team. And research shows that employee happiness and satisfaction are linked to a very strong workplace culture. For example, 
Every month, my HRIS program that my payroll is run through, it prompts my employees to answer five questions. And every month, I get a happiness score. And that's a little nerve-wracking as a leader when you get that email that your rating is ready. You know, it's that net promoter score. Your customers are rating you. Well, your employees are rating you now as well. And it is one of the best feelings of accomplishment to open that rating. And I'll, I'll... I'll tell you, I'm very proud to say that we've had eight months in a row of 100% happiness scores. And, you know, that's a really easy pulse survey that just, it runs without any input from me. And to be able to gauge that, and we can talk more about that as well. And then the fourth one I would say is that positive culture and how it affects performance. I mean, we that's just a no-brainer, right? Stronger cultures are going to outperform all of your competitors financially, and always more successful when you've got that positive culture. And, and I'm sure there's more than that. Those four things really jump out to me as the why. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think we can we can unpack that. I mean, there's a lot of things that you talked about there. You know, the first I'm thinking about is, is employee engagement, because this is where in that culture, establishing it is the first thing, but now you have to maintain it. And this is all up to the leadership and the individuals in the company to do that. So, we talk about in a lot of different ways, and you mentioned you know this employee engagement and the importance of that. And you spoke to the fact that you're actually measuring that, and I think that's probably something we talked plenty there about the importance of it. But but the measurement side of things, you measure this, you know, you mentioned this happiness scale, and you know we've seen some other things might be the employee net promoter score, where how how engaged are your employees to actually be promoting your business out into the marketplace and to their own friends and families who want to join and, and be part of that, that same culture. Um, so maybe if we could just unpack that a little bit more on employee engagement, and we talk about the importance, but, but the measurement side of that is some of the tools that, that you guys have available to you. Because I think a lot of people in our audience might think, I didn't know you can measure that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I look at engagement through several different lens. And I think, obviously, there are many ways that you can measure it um, today as well. We put a lot of stock in the predictive index tool that, that's been around for, you know, almost 100 years, and it's scientifically based. And so we put a lot of stock in that. There are numerous tools out there. But, you know, we take a, just a quick step back from an engagement perspective. We've identified there are four active forces that can work for you or against you when you're thinking about engagement. And if the four active forces are blocking you from achieving great results, then you have a workforce that is disengaged. And the same forces utilized in a positive way can become forces of engagement. And it's very simple to look at the job, the manager, the team, and the organization. And by that, let's just think about the job. If someone isn't a good fit for their job, then that's going to pull them down every day. They're going to continuously struggle to meet the requirements. Manager, if someone's manager doesn't know how to meet their needs, that can be disengaging. From a team perspective, if the team dynamics are off or if the team doesn't understand the work, it's going to pull down productivity. And then finally, from an organizational perspective, if you're not listening to your employees and you're not trying to address any issues that arise, it's very disengaging. But like I said, when you are doing these right, if someone's placed in a job that fits them and they have a very self-aware manager that's managing them based on what they need and the team understands 
their own dynamics and accountabilities. And the organization is addressing problems thoughtfully and utilizing everyone's skills and developing their team. That's a lot of power. And so you think, okay, how do I measure all four of those things? So you can look at things like, it's kind of like the the old adage about the tree falling in the woods. You know, how can a company know if its engagement strategy is actually working if you can't measure the results? So you have to come in and do a baseline, just like with your culture assessment. You're looking at surveys, right? Surveys are the primary means to measure engagement. And those could be the initial survey, the longer form annual survey, maybe those quick follow-up pulse surveys, like I mentioned, These allow you to probe maybe very specific issues over time and across an entire organization. And the surveys typically, whether you purchase a program or or bring in a third party to do it, the data is without human bias and the data speaks for itself. There are other ways Mm -hmm. to make it well. Very successfully, I've seen one-to-ones done focus groups, roundtable discussions, and we always encourage state interviews. And Eric, you're quite probably familiar with exit interviews. You know, why are you leaving the company? You know, the last day of work, let's talk about all the reasons why you're leaving. More importantly is the state interview as to let's talk about why you're staying. We're really glad to have you here and you're a tremendous asset and value to this organization. Why do you keep coming back? (laughs) And those things, are so powerful. And that's what some of those, you know, pulse surveys can do. They're more immediate. I'm certainly not disencouraging an annual survey. Those can be very beneficial and you can measure those over time. But if there is a problem in March and you don't poll your employees until January, you're missing an opportunity for corrective action in that moment. And then, you know, lastly, of course, you can measure it. A lot of people bring in an HR consultant or a third party to do all of that, to handle your one-on-ones or your roundtable discussions or your surveys. And and sometimes, you know, that gives employees a feeling of trust that, hey, you know, the company cares enough of my well-being bringing in someone to ensure that I have a safe space to speak my mind. And that's very powerful in itself. That's great. That's all great advice. And, you know, I'm sure that there's folks out of there that, that may not have an HR department and think that, oh, man, this could be overwhelming. But I know that, that you guys at HR NOLA and, and other companies like you are really, that's why you're there is to help walk alongside of those companies and help them with these things. And that's great that you're available uh, for folks that need these services because it is, it is just so, so important. And like you said, the frequency is it's not good to wait for six months or a year to, to find out you have a problem. So, I mean, being consistent with it and actually creating that as part of your culture to actually say, hey, we are going to measure this. We do care. We are listening. Uh, we, we want you to be engaged. We want you to be part of this company and this culture. And so it becomes part of your culture to be a people-focused business. And that, that's great. Yeah, it's, you know, when we onboard someone, that's our communication on the very first day. We're going to ask you often how things are going here. And we expect very candid feedback. We can't continue to get 100% happiness scores if we don't really know where people are. And so in order to meet them where they are, you have to survey them and you have to have those intimate conversations. And, and I briefly mentioned this, but creating that safe space and that sense of belonging, it is at the heart of every culture today. It's what employees 
not just expect, but employees today are demanding a safe space for work. And they're looking for a place where they can belong and be themselves. And that's a critical formation of your culture today. Yes, that's great. And Amy, I think, you know, kind of to kind of bring it home and kind of close this whole topic is maybe we could talk a little bit about that employee retention hire. I like to always say is hire well and fire even better, you know, in that you want to do all of that front end work because we take so much time and effort to bring employees on board. We shouldn't be just trying to get anybody to fill a spot. And, and sometimes we, we do that. And I think in, in today's environment, it can be very challenging to find the right people, but needing to have a process in place to hire well, to assess on the front end. You mentioned very much this predictive index, which is a, a mechanism that you guys use a lot to do that. And then lastly, maybe, you know, even when it comes to the compensation packages and incentive program, how do you tie all of that in back to this whole idea of the culture and, and the execution within the company so that it's just everything kind of feeds on itself, that when you set these things right and, and you're measuring the right thing, then you're rewarding the right things. This is how it all comes into play and, and, and really feeds on itself and, and really gets that culture going and, and the execution within the company going. Yeah, I think if you know why people are disengaged or or what could potentially disengage them, then you actually know what your retention strategy should be. And as we talk about HR strategy, retention is a, a large bucket of that. Things look different today as why people are leaving. Robert Half just released a study this summer that was actually, it doesn't surprise me, but if you look at five years ago, it's, it's a little bit different. People leave because of inadequate salaries or benefits packages and, and that aren't competitive or they feel unsupported at work and they're you know looking for a better work-life balance or they want to be rewarded for their individual contributions. And those not all were things that we were looking at on the landscape just five years ago. So, you know, you talked about the hiring piece and When you're hiring and promoting the right people, using those assessment tools like the predictive index in your toolbox to properly assess that whole person that's showing up at work. If you can predict how someone's going to behave at work and how they're going to prefer to communicate and make decisions and then determine if that's a good match for your position, then you're a much better place. If I were to say to you, we can predict 42% of how someone's going to perform in their job in advance, up front. Who wouldn't want that? I like those odds. So look, making smarter hiring decisions is one. You mentioned compensation. I call it a compensation tune-up. You know, I've often talked to, you know, CEOs saying, oh, I pay them well, or we have competitive wages. And so, you know, I say, well, how reliable is it? When's the last time you went to the job market to look at that competitive data? And if you are... uh, paying people well, then let's validate that. And then let's tie some incentives to the performance and the behaviors at work and not just the numbers, right? So you can, you know, I worked previously with a company where the manager was hitting every number and meeting every budget quota. And I would say, look how many dead bodies are left behind. The turnover rate, disengaged. So look, if you have an incentive program and just, you know, talking about from a comp perspective, incentive programs can increase employee performance by 44%. And in that same Gallup poll, that 
the right incentive program can motivate up to 66 of employees and they're going to stay with the company. So companies that use, you know, tangible sales incentives are going to see their revenue increase and professionals that are satisfied with both incentives and their benefits are going to be satisfied with their work. But where I'm seeing a change, Eric, is tying the incentives directly to transformation outcomes within the control of that employee and then incorporating metrics around not just what the company's performance is and what revenue or profits look like, but around improving engagement and morale and reducing turnover and raising retention rates. And, you know, when you're looking at your leadership team, How do they align with your mission, vision, and values? And incorporating that into your incentive program, it's tremendous, the improvements in performance and retention when you put that little bow on that and say, here's here's the carrot and here's all the ways that you can get it. Oh, by the way, you are walking the walk that we talk about. And so here's more. uh, It is the new way that we're looking at uh, compensation incentives today. That is often that that is just so much sage advice to our audience, Amy. And and I thank you for for all of this. And gosh, folks, we really just just kind of hitting the high points again. I mean, there's so much more to this that we could unpack. And I'm sure Amy and her team are are available to you if need be. You want to understand this more and see how you can actually do this and, and incorporate this into your overall corporate strategy. And I would encourage you definitely to do that. And Amy, I just want to thank you again for being our guest here. It's such, again, sage advice from you. And, and I can't emphasize enough the importance of this and how this impacts the overall performance within a company. And from there, uh, how that impacts the valuation in the company. So Folks, I encourage you to reach out to Amy if you have any desire to go deeper into this specific topic. She can be reached at uh, hrnola.com. And uh, this is uh, kind of a a podcast here that's uh, following our two big programs and series on strategic planning and and business valuation. And uh, I just uh, encourage you guys to sign up for the Emerge uh, Dynamics podcast at emergedynamicspodcast.com. It's also available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Look forward to our next series of podcasts with you guys. And uh, until then, God bless and go make it a great day. 